Blog Talk Radio. everyone. This is Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the TS Radio Network. Our show tonight is the 2021 year-end USDA wrap-up, and hosting this show is Lawrence Lucas. Lawrence, I'm going to let you go ahead and take it from here, and you have Marcel on with you. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Marty, for having us on. And, and thanks a lot uh, for the guests that we have tonight. Uh, this is going to be an interesting show, and we're going to start with uh, the introduction, uh, and who we have on is Marcel Reed. Uh, we're going to have her on uh, for the opening, and she's going to cover uh, some of the issues as it relates to what has happened with whistleblowers in 2021. And we're very fortunate to have also with us uh, uh, Attorney Tracy McCurdy, attorney and advocate, uh, and she has been a, a stalwart um, and a valued uh, partner in approaching this issue of civil rights and USDA and all the races and discrimination. Uh, we also have with us a former uh, civil rights director from USDA um, and Lloyd Wright, and uh, he's was a secretary. He was uh, actually civil rights director at USDA, returned and worked with the uh, Obama administration under um, Tom Vilsap, and there's a story to be had there as well. So I want to uh, first thank the guests, and uh, I want to also say um, it's very important that the reason why I do what I do is because of a very vigilant uh, President Ron Cotton and Vice President in California, Lisa Donnelly. And they have been working with us since 1995 on this issue at USDA. And there's going to be some um, people that will probably be uncomfortable tonight as we approach this issue of civil rights at USDA, not only for black farmers, minority farmers, but also our concern for employees. We feel as though the systemic problem has to be addressed and things will not be fixed until that time. So, Marcel, um, we're pleased to have you on tonight, and I would like for you to, for the little time that we're going to have you, I would like for you to tell us what you think went on that uh, our listening audience will appreciate tonight, and thank you for being here. Marcel Reed. Thank you, Lawrence, Um, and thank you, Marty, for continuing to host this over the last, what is it now, Lawrence, four years. Um, It's it's been amazing um, the breadth that this network is reaching and the people that this network is reaching. Well, Lawrence, it was um, a very strange year in 2021. I think we'll all attest to that. Um, there were a lot of fits and starts, um, but on the whistleblower fund, which I, which is what I primarily focus on, um, I think that the biggest thing that's coming up that will affect us writ large is um, there are going to be some adjustments I see in the future for Starbucks Austin. Uh, which will be very good. There's a very short reporting time for whistleblowers in the Sarbanes-Oxley. We're hoping to have that expanded over the next few months to three years. So that will give whistleblowers an opportunity to actually report and um, and not be retaliated against under Sarbanes-Oxley. 
The other is that we are very close to finally having a functioning MSPB. Um, and Lawrence, um, you're much more familiar with MSPB than I am, but many of the people in the Department of Agriculture could have used the protection of a functioning uh, Merit System Protection Board. But unfortunately, it has either functioned poorly, and for the last two and a half years, for all intents and purposes, it's been completely defunct. So that leaves all of these federal employees who would blow the whistle having no way to do it since they can't do it in federal court. Um, it is covered through the, the Merit System Protection Board. Um, I wanted to tell you about um, what the whistleblower community is doing the same way that we have um, such a staunch ally in Marty. We have to constantly look for outlets that will let whistleblowers tell their stories because what is so important is if your um, supervisors don't listen to you, if um, your coworkers are frightened to speak, um, you can't get good counsel. Very often the last resort can be the press, but it cannot be a press that will turn on the whistleblower. It can't be people who won't honor the promises that they've made to the whistleblower. And that is so important because part of our leverage is the press and part of our downfall is the press. So we're working on trying to hammer out some agreements um, that whistleblowers will be more protected. And, of course, we're, we're trying to expand whistleblower laws, we're, and we're working much more with Transparency International so that our um, networks are stronger not only um, nationally but internationally. Um, I just want to say that working with you has really paid off for the community as well as for the individual farmers. I want to talk about global networking with whistleblowers because I know that Marty is now, um, her reach has gone into Australia and Greece. And I know that we're planning uh, to start to interact with uh, Canada uh, and England in the next couple of months. So I think that's really all I have to report. Um, the summit, we're planning to have it um, next year, hybrid as far as we're aware now because we don't know what's happening with the new virus. Um, things are closing down around me as we speak. So I think that's it. Thank you very much for your time. I'm sorry I didn't prepare a more formal report, and I'm sorry I don't have more time this evening. Well, thank you very much, Marcel. I know you have a very busy schedule, and I thank you for coming on and giving us an idea of what, uh, what it has happened, and, but mainly what is going to be happening in year uh, uh, 2022. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate that, uh, that offering that you have for our listening public. Thank you. Now we have, um, I have the opportunity to introduce uh, uh, my colleague and uh, a very devoted person to civil rights. In fact, uh, I can say that uh, for Lloyd Wright and myself and Wayman Henson, she's been able, she's the one who's been keeping us focused. She's the one who knows all about what's been going on at USDA for years. And her being an attorney and an advocate, uh, she has uh, something to share with us. And in lieu of me giving any background on you, Tracy, tell the listening audience uh, what you want them to know about you and then take a, a somewhat of a brief uh, before we get into the conversation period, uh, 
tell them what you're going to offer and what you think are the highlights and what we need to be talking about and addressing. And then we're going to get into the conversation uh, piece with all of us participating. Uh, Tracy McCurdy. Thank you, and good evening, everyone. Um, Marty and Lawrence, thank you for creating uh, this community space for radical truth-telling and for us to expose uh, the continuous economic, economic uh, assaults on black farmers and um, our persistence in uprooting anti-black racism within uh, USDA, the local FSA offices, Farm Service Agency offices, and the county committee system. Uh, my name is Tracy Lloyd McCurdy. I am the executive director of the Black Belt Justice Center and also a co-organizer for the Black Farmers Appeal Cancel Pig for Debt campaign. Uh, I actually am from Durham, North Carolina. Uh, this work uh, is very important to me. I feel like it's a full circle moment because I worked on Pigford, uh, the Pigford lawsuit, Pigford won as a law student at UNC Chapel Hill. I uh, interned at uh, Land Loss Prevention Project in Durham, North Carolina. And so I think it's really important for the listeners to realize that when we talk about uh, the debt cancellation program uh, that has uh, received obstructionism not just by the white farmers in uh, the various lawsuits that have been filed in federal court, but by USDA, USDA present day, but also USDA back, it will be 25 years uh, from the filing of the historic Pickford v. Glickman class action uh, racial discrimination lawsuit. That was 1997. So I really want to contextualize this fight goes back 25 years. 25 years black farmers have been waiting to receive debt cancellation. And so uh, what I want to get into tonight um, is uh, how, how far away we are from where we started, which was the Justice for Black Farmers Act and how we have had to make compromises and we have had to center whiteness in our efforts to obtain race-based remediation for black farmers for decades of anti-black racism. And I think that's really important for the listeners that we had to center whiteness with respect to uh, the Build Back Better Act, and we'll dive into that later on in the conversation. I think it's also important for us uh, to, again, uh, have a critique of Secretary Thomas Vilsack's third tenure. Uh, and I think um, particularly uh, some of the shenanigans and the charade with the uh, Equity Commission, uh, the fact that we still have not had a robust discussion about uh, an equitable lens to the Commodity Credit Corporation Fund, uh, the fact that billions of dollars have flowed mostly to uh, white farmers and corporate farms through the American Rescue Plan Act, and black farmers largely have yet to receive financial assistance or any type of direct payment. I think we definitely need to have a critique about that. And then the and the way forward. So I um, I'm looking forward to the discussion. Uh, th those are the the key points that I have. Thank you very much, uh, Attorney McCurdy. Uh, we'll now um, have um, we'll have Lord Wright, who has a history, a long history, embedded in the civil rights process at USDA and retiring after 40-some years only a few years ago. Um, Lloyd, I would like for you 
to tell them a little about uh, your background and your history, as in the case uh, of what Tracy did as well, and talk about some of the kind of things you think that we should be discussing when we get into the conversation period, which is going to be very interesting uh, for our listening audience. Uh, um, Lloyd Wright. Uh, thanks, Lawrence. Uh, I'm Lloyd Wright, and I spent, if you include my civil service time and contractor time, about 40 years working for USDA. And I was director of civil rights uh, at the time that the Pigford lawsuit started. And, 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 um, and that grew out of uh, a, a, a terrible history where uh, complaints from farmers were not being processed by the Office of Civil Rights. It had been dismantled in 83, uh, and investigators were um, removed uh, uh, since the department took the position they didn't discriminate, so they didn't need investigators to investigate discrimination. And, and when I became director, we didn't have investigators, program investigators. And so I spent part of my time building that back, but it was going to take a long time to investigate cases, and farmers were impatient, as they should have been, and out of that grew a class action lawsuit, Pigford. And um, uh, th th that, that uh, settlement we thought was pretty good. That was agreed to where farmers would, be, would get compensation plus debt relief plus priority for future programs. And as Tracy pointed out, uh, they're still waiting for their debt relief. Um, uh, out of the 22-plus thousand who applied for Pigford One, over 16,000 uh, were approved and got some form of uh, compensation. However, only 371 of those black farmers received partial debt relief. So I, we, they, I've never seen the number on those who got complete debt relief. But in some instances, farmers who had two or three loans got forgiveness for a small loan, and at the end of Pigfoot owed the department more money than they did before Pigfoot. Uh, and that was inconsistent with the way we had settled them administrative complaints, and that we, when we said debt relief, all debt was forgiven. And, and that's what farmers expected, and they didn't get it. So really, we've had a few other attempts to, to address the issue, and as you pointed out, I went back to work in 2010, 2009, 2010, to try to deal with the complaints that had not been addressed and the debt relief. The statute of limitation had run on all of the cases, and so we tried to get a bill to extend the statute um, uh, to cover years that would, uh, would permit us to do debt relief and do some compensation. And although that passed twice in the House, uh, we didn't get much help from the department, or didn't get help at all, I should say, and it didn't pass the Senate. So it never um, uh, it was never approved as an act to be administered, and farmers got zero again. And then we were encouraged uh, uh, when Senator Warren uh, drafted the um, Justice for Black Farmer Act and included a lot of good provisions, including one for debt relief. And then when that provision was pulled out and put into the American Rescue Plan, uh, we thought we were making progress. Um, and, and, and if you were to ask me to evaluate the last year, Lawrence, I would say that we made two steps forward and three steps back. And that okay. uh, unfortunately we we got that act passed that was going to give debt relief to black farmers and, and other minorities. However, we also got Vilsack back, and he elected not to implement that bill. Uh, in spite of the fact a letter was sent by a number of us encouraging him to do so, and then when it was stopped, we 
start working on the Build Back Better plan, which is not better than the American Rescue Plan in that it will not cover all the farmers who have debt with the USDA. And, and, and now that you may have heard today, that's not going to happen this year, the Build Back Better plan. We're not sure it will ever happen. And, and, and farmers might end up much like Pigfoot, Pigfoot or I tell folk much like the 40 acres in the mule that we're still waiting for. Um, we haven't gotten relief. And a lot of money has been spent at the department, but we have not given a dime to, to a black farmer to give them any relief. So that's, that's uh, more than an introduction, uh, uh, Lawrence, but that's, that's the, the, the cap of what, where we are and how we got there. Uh, thanks very much to uh, the two of you all for giving that overview. Um, what I'm going to try to attempt to do electronically is uh, to put a little humanity into this conversation. Uh, since we do not have any black farmers on the phone tonight, but I think there's something that I can share with you, and I hope that technically it will work. But um, Gary Grant out of uh, North Carolina uh, got together with a group of uh, film producers, Sean Hill out of New York and uh, Wayman Henson out of Texas, uh, both uh, experts in their field, writers, uh, producers, and they put together a, and I thanks to uh, Gary Grant, which uh, took the little money that he's gotten from uh, USDA, but he plowed it into this uh, documentary, and I'm going to play the trailer uh, to kind of add some humanity here uh, to this conversation, and because we don't have any black farmers, for those people who have not listened, they need to hear just this one trailer, and then we're going to start off with a conversation. Uh, I'm going to try to pull this off. Let's see what happens. Here we go. I lost my livelihood in farming. I couldn't farm. They took away the one thing that I really loved, and that was farming. That's what the USDA did. He showed me a big tarp that had the words on it, nigger, go home. He took the lack of commitment by too many people, not really caring whether we did justice or not. Even as long as it's been, you know, we've experienced discrimination for a very, very long time, and most people would have given up uh, to this date. I haven't given up, and... I never will give up, you know, until justice is served. I feel my daddy would always say, he says I wasn't in trouble or anything. Everything was fine until I went up to defend my dad. And he says, what was I supposed to do? He says, I'm a man, and that's my dad, and I'm supposed to defend him. He said, don't let USDA take my hand. It was like anybody else would just want you to let the and we've done that. Nobody else has taken it either. But for sure, the USDA would never did. Quite frankly, I say that the United States Department of Agriculture you murdered, murdered them. my mother and father and my brother. trailer from the documentary uh, interviews with a host of farmers talking about the pain and suffering that they have had at the hands of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, I would like also for Tracy uh, to, uh, when we get, since we're into the conversation period, to add a, a little history in terms of uh, the land that's lost and this whole debt relief idea. And there was a new subject that was brought to my attention um, called the peonage and how the, the U.S. government and this country has used debt relief 
to penalize uh, black people and other minorities, but especially black farmers. Um, so, uh, Tracy, I would like for you to take off, and uh, we're going to have a conversation, and, and Lloyd, um, uh, we can butt into each other because we know each other very well. But I would like Tracy to kind of add some history to this and, and extend that humanity that needs to be had at USDA and it has not been forthcoming uh, under this new administration. Tracy? Uh, thank you, Mr. Lucas. I think it's really important uh, for us to uh, contextualize how debt has been used as a racialized tool to dispossess uh, the descendants of enslaved Africans uh, of land or to exclude them of land, as well as the indigenous nations of their land. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, back in 1803, uh, there's a wonderful podcast called This American Life, and it's called Little War in the Prairie, and it talks about the war between the Dakotas and um, uh, at the time, uh, the federal government that resulted in the largest mass execution of the Dakotas. Over 38 Dakotas were executed um, at the order of President um, Abraham Lincoln. But Thomas Jefferson talked about how uh, the indigenous nations could be dispossessed of their land through debt. And so even when we look at um, – how debt was used at uh, the end of the Civil War and the outgrowth of what I call uh, chattel slavery with uh, uh, tenant farming and sharecropping, it always produced this cycle of debt. And so, um, again, I don't know if many of the listeners are aware that George Floyd's uh, great-grandfather at the end of the Civil War had acquired through grit and determination over 500 acres of land in North Carolina. And through, um, you know, white domination, trickery, collusion, criminality, he lost that land. And so his George Floyd's grandparents toiled in um, the tobacco fields as sharecroppers. And so his bloodline, they were never able to acquire land again. And so I think that's really important uh, because oftentimes if we don't have that grounding, then we can get caught up in uh, the dominator narrative that the Pigford uh, v. Glickman class action racial discrimination lawsuit was historic, that uh, it provided $50,000 cash payments uh, to black farmers. Now, we know that those payments were not based on actual economic harm. They disregarded the recommendation from Dr. Donald McDowell, uh, agricultural uh, economics professor from North Carolina A&T, my alma mater. He said at the time during Pigford, at the, at the fairness hearing, uh, attorney Stefan Bowens from Land Loss Prevention Project shared the information uh, the research findings from Dr. McDowell that said that it would cost at least 250000 now this is back in 99, for black farmers to reenter agriculture, 250000 Yet the cash payments were based on the payments to the Tuskegee experiment survivors. And I invite the listeners to, again, read the fairness hearing transcript. We have it on our, our webpage uh, acresofancestry.org under the community archives. It's 200 pages of black agrarian history. And there, uh, the attorneys for the Black Farmers Class Council talk about the payments to the Tuskegee experiment survivors, which were 37500 which was the pittance. But I think it's important for us to understand that for us to understand that the attorneys for the black farmers negotiated away discovery 
that after discovery was negotiated away, uh, the DOJ, the Department of Justice, um, spent 56,000 hours and $12 million fighting black farmers on their claims. So this is the history. Um, Mr. Wright talked about um, how poorly uh, the consent decree was implemented. One of the other issues is that only one farmer received his land back. That was, um, uh, is it George Miller from Marshallville, Georgia? I believe he was the only one that received his land back. And at the time, there was 1.5 million, million acres of land in USDA inventory, and it all evaporated. None of that land went back to the farmers, and the black farmers were not able to acquire land um, uh, through any kind of uh, restorative land justice framework. I think it's important to note that I believe it was in the 1990 Farm Bill, and Mr. Wright can correct me on this, that there was a provision for black farmers or socially disadvantaged farmers to have the right of first refusal for land in USDA inventory. But when I speak to black farmers, I have not heard of any black farmer that has been successful with acquiring land that's in USDA inventory, which brings me to the issue of what I call uh, performative justice. Uh, one of my colleagues said um, it's always all deliberate speed when it's on white supremacy's time. And I think that's where we are right now with respect to um, how far away we are from the promise of the Justice for Black Farmers Act and where we are now. And I remember when we started out on this journey, we thought at the time that 17,000 black farmers were going to receive debt cancellation. Now we know that uh, under the American Rescue Plan Act, it would have been 3,100 black farmers, all black farmers, that had debt with USDA and guaranteed loans. Now under the Build Back Better Act, there's a different rubric that has been advanced and Again, this is based on uh, the determinations of USDA. They're saying that 91% of the eligible black farmers will receive debt cancellation. That is less than 8% of all black farmers. However, we do know that under the Build Back Better Act, due to these frivolous lawsuits, that we have centered whiteness and that the vast majority of the debt cancellation will go to white farmers, right? And we know that uh, white farmers own 98% of the farmland, that they receive 99% uh, of the subsidies. And I, I'm really excited uh, to receive data uh, from uh, the various FOIAs that have been filed so we can really interrogate some of these numbers that have been uh, published in the press that somehow the Biden-Harris administration under Vilsack, Secretary Vilsack's tutelage is uh, providing a more equitable, uh, uh, equitable, a more equitable uh, position with respect to uh, this COVID-19 and uh, American Rescue Plan Act funding. And I would I'm making the argument that I don't think that's the case. We know that black farmers have not been paid yet, and they have been suffering for over 25 years under this unconscionable debt. And the reason why we're down to 3,100 is because USDA has either foreclosed on our elder farmers or they have forced farmers to take out private loans to pay off their debt with USDA. And so uh, I think it's very interesting, too, uh, there was a press release that came out on December 9th, and Ch Chairman David Scott uh, wrote a letter to Secretary Vilsack requesting that funds be allocated to help merchandisers of U.S. cotton. I'm assuming some of these funds uh, are to come out of the Commodity Credit Corporation Fund 
or uh, perhaps funds from the American Rescue Plan Act. But my question for Chairman Scott is where is the demand for payments to black farmers? Why can't we uh, reach into the Commodity Credit Corporation Fund now to pay black farmers that have suffered over 25 years? And Secretary Vilsack, we know through the American Rescue Plan Act, has uh, released billions of dollars to white farmers for disaster assistance from 2019, 2019, and for um, market fluctuations. Again, all of this is tied to the Commodity Credit Corporation Fund. So I'm really excited to kind of uh, dive deeper into uh, that conversation, but I think the issue of performative justice and, and what uh, Mr. Wright talked about, we'll get the debt cancellation around the same time we get 40 acres and a mule is a hard truth that uh, the black agrarian community must discuss. And so I'm going to leave it there, but I think I really would love to dive into a conversation about this $75 million, uh, that was secretly awarded to 20 nonprofit organizations and how we need to really look at how those funds could be used to provide immediate relief to black farmers. Thank you very much, Attorney uh, McCurdy. Uh, that was very uh, a very deep dive into where we are. Um, I would like now for Mr. Wright to kind of give give some insight on your experience um, at USDA and kind of bring us up to date. Uh, in terms of what you feel and what you're thinking. You've talked about uh, how people were not listening, and you've talked about how they weren't listening not only inside USDA but also not listening outside. I would like for you to uh, kind of give a similar overview about what has been going on, and we're going to try to have about 10 minutes of uh, a back-and-forward conversation and cover some of these other issues that uh, Attorney McCurdy is interested in, especially that $75 million. So, Lord, uh, Mr. Wright, can you kind of add to that? We've got about another about 30, about 25 minutes, and I'd like for you to do, uh, do a similar uh, dive into what's going on at USDA and what you see and what needs to be done. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, I would argue that black farmers have been suffering really uh, uh, at USDA for 150 years, and that, uh, as was pointed out, they were promised relief under Pigfoot, uh, but that relief was to correct, um, uh, pass injustice, immediately pass injustice, uh, going back to 83 when the office was dismantled. However, if you were to look at the 1982 Commission on Civil Rights Report, it pointed out that if USDA did not change the way it provided services or lack of services to the black farmers, there wouldn't be any black farmers by the end of the century. And, uh, and, and I would say they didn't listen to that report and they have not changed uh, a thing. And that uh, it pointed out that the county committees, you know, were primarily taking care. The members were taking care of themselves, their family, and their friends. Blacks happened not to be included in any of the above, and they were not getting services. Uh, it, it was clear, I think, in that report, what needed to be done to help black farmers in terms of loans. They pointed out past services and programs set up to help blacks, usually help whites more than blacks. And at the end of uh, disasters, the whites who received the money had money. Blacks who did not get assistance from disasters had debt, and the money provided to the whites, you know, uh, ended up buying more of the black farmers' lands. So, no, they haven't listened at all. And one of the reasons... You know, I was not interested in being on this equity commission. Uh, there are a stack of reports outlining 
the problem with the Department of Agriculture in relationship to black farmers. Um, there was a report in 65 that the, eight, the 82 report followed up on. There was another uh, report by the, uh, the, the uh, Civil Rights Action Team. There was a D.J. Miller report just a few years prior to that. And then there was a Jackson Lewis report. So every administration will come in and do a report. Uh, and about the time they're getting ready to exit, they publish a, a glossy report. Uh, I'm interested in a commission to help implement and correct um, policies that causing black farmers to decline, and 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 they haven't formed that commission yet. When they do, I'm, I'll be willing to join that. But I'm not interested in identifying problems that we've known about for 100 years, and have been well documented in a number of documents that's gathering dust. So no, they're not listening at all. And, they, and and what they want us to do is to spend our time putting a report together that will come out sometime in in, in uh, uh, 2023 while we're in the middle of the next campaign, presidential campaign, and, and we know uh, nothing will happen. Uh, funds will go to a bunch of organizations that will help keep them quiet, but they too will not do much to help black farmers. So, so I, I'm not sure, and I don't want to – I, I usually – try to convince myself that I'm an optimist, but uh, I haven't seen much this year. I've been disappointed, and that a lot of farmers are in trouble right now, and to, to put salt in the wound, they didn't get, uh, Vilsack didn't implement the debt relief, and he had plenty of time to do so, but now they're going after those farmers and holding up their checks. So for the grain they were able to produce, uh, you know, cotton and peanuts or whatever, uh, they got a hold on their checks so they can't receive their money. So this is a good way to starve them out. You know, you, you can't, if you can't receive money for the crop you just sold, uh, you're not going to be able to plant next year and pay off your other debtors. So I don't think anything has changed. I think when I say I think we made two steps forward and three back, I, I think we did for a change. I, I can't see progress this year so far for black farmers. The only folk who benefited have been white farmers and some few black uh, community-based organizations. So that, that's where I think we are, Mr. Lucas. Okay, okay. thank you very much. Um, I think it would be a good time to talk about um, the, the whole issue of the lawsuit, um, maybe what the lawsuit is challenging, um, what act, put in place for this challenge, what USDA could have done uh, during the interim, and can I'd like the both of you all to feed in and just briefly uh, kind of tell us what you all think uh, is the reason for the lawsuit. And my position is that the lawsuit is, I'm not a lawyer, is frivolous and racist. I would like to get the both of you all's opinion about uh, USDA's position and these uh, court cases, which we consider as frivolous. Um, Attorney McCurdy? Yeah. I, uh, I wanted to share a quote from my mentor, Professor Cheryl Harris. She's a critical race theorist at UCLA School of Law, and she wrote a seminal um, article back in 1993 called Whiteness as Property. We actually had the article available in our community archives, but I really want to share this profound quote from her. She says, what we are seeing today is the legacy of enslavement. The righteousness of the farmer's claim for debt cancellation rests on the long arc of that history both the immediate history with USDA and going back to a system in which black people were property and were excluded from owning property. In this system, the law has always played a critical role in undergirding the rules of the game so that the rights of whites to property were protected, while blacks' claims to property were also always treated as less than and as contingent, and that legacy continues today. So now as the farmers come forward and claim what is rightfully theirs for debt cancellation, 
it is being treated as a gift or a giveaway. In other words, it is not being tra- treated as a claim for which they have a right. It is being treated as something that maybe the government will give if it chooses to. Maybe it will be treated as a form of welfare when, in fact, it is actually a right that they have, that they are due under the law, and that has not been recognized. And so I think that the reality is, and I I keep saying this, is that our country is still wrestling with the descendants of enslaved Africans and whether we are truly respected and that we can stand in our sovereignty and own property and be protected, our rights be protected. And I say that because um, the Justice for Black Farmers Act, we had included a race-based remedy for the Pigford legacy farmers to, again, so many of them have ascended to the ancestral realm, thousands, but those that were still holding on to their land, that they would receive debt cancellation. And the reality is the Justice for Black Farmers Act was never going to garner 60 votes. So then we had to move to budget reconciliation. And even with that, there was no political will or political courage to support race-based remediation for Pigfoot legacy farmers. And so it had to become a BIPOC bill. So then we have the Emergency Relief for Farmers of Color Act which, and we all know this, it was vulnerable to constitutional uh, attack because there is a constitutional standard which is regressive that causes thorny problems for those of us that are trying to figure out how we can um, achieve a race-based uh, remediation specifically, specifically for black folks when we talk about anti-black uh, racism uh, in, in, in the courts. And so we knew that it was vulnerable to what they call strict scrutiny, which is uh, it's a narrowly tailored uh, for compelling government interests. And, you know, we can debate that for another, another call. I think what we have seen is that the, the program was, effectively shredded uh, with all of these lawsuits. And we know that many of these white farmers that filed these lawsuits received uh, large subsidies and have continued to be supported and undergirded by the Commodity Credit Corporation Fund that, for the most part, has excluded any benefits to black farmers because USDA, through collusion and criminality, and their uh, generations of anti-black racism have impacted the acreage of black farmers so then they can't benefit from these programs that are based on acreage. So, you know, to fast forward to where we are now, that uh, we immediately, and I think it's really important for us to say this, when we first met with the Biden-Harris transition team, Secretary Thomas Vilsack was, uh, the senior ag policy advisor at the time, where we were talking about debt cancellation, a foreclosure moratorium, uh, direct payment, Secretary Vilsack was talking about an equity commission. That was his counter, an equity commission, more performative justice. So, again, uh, Vilsack, Secretary Vilsack, for black farmers, we get processed and Mr. Wright says this all the time, white farmers get payment. They get payment immediately. They've received relief. They continue to send, receive billions of dollars, but the black farmer has yet to receive anything. So, I mean, for me, with the lawsuit, I think it's really important for us to go back to 1997, and everyone wants to talk about uh, how conservative the courts are, but the Pigford debacle happened with a judge that was appointed by President uh, Bill Clinton. So we really have to interrogate where we are and why is it that black farmers have suffered greatly due to the disastrous implementation 
of the Pickford lawsuit? And why has it taken Vilsack, Secretary Vilsack, this is his third tenure, to get this right? I think we really need to have a conversation about whether we need to be asking for his resignation going into 2022. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Lord, um, I would like for you to chime in here and kind of give your view uh, of what um, you feel is though the continual problem at USDA uh, covering everything some of the, and extending what uh, Attorney McCurdy has said. Lloyd. Yeah. Okay. And I'll follow up just a comment you know, on the lawsuit first. Uh, the, the people who are concerned now that we shouldn't do race-based relief uh, are the people who had zero concern when governments uh, uh, administered programs that limited services to blacks, you know, and and up until '64, uh, you know, and and I'm I'm old enough to remember, you know, having to get up on a bus because a white person got on, and if there were four of us sitting there, we all have to get up and move to the next row. If they didn't have rows, we went to the back of the bus. That was race-based. And all of these, the groups and people who are bothered now that we might uh, compensate people who have been harmed in the past with race-based policies had no problem when they were inflicting pain and taking land from blacks. But now that we thought we might give some relief, uh, they have a problem. And so they really need to lay it out for what it is. You know, it's just another extension of racism. And then I want to say that, and then the other thing I want to say is that in spite of all of the other things that has happened uh, since the American Rescue Plan, a secretary that wanted to implement this program would have had it implemented prior to the time the lawsuits stopped it. A letter was sent by a group of us on April the 8th asking him not to play around with figuring out whether or not 20% was enough to pay for the taxes and get on with the debt relief before something or someone stopped him. Uh, it was two months later before the stop order came. So we had added, uh, uh, any other secretary would have implemented it. And had this been a program for, uh, for whites, uh, it would have been implemented long before even we sent that letter out. So I think the problem is implementation. You know, and, and, and with Pigfoot, they didn't implement it. They had a good policy. Had they provided those three things that were in the bill, it would have been all right, I mean, in the agreement. And had they implemented the American Rescue Plan, it would not have met what we expected because there were only 3,100 out of 38,000 black farmers getting relief, but at least 3,100 would get debt relief. Uh, we're not sure any of them are going to get debt relief because I'm not so sure, listening to the news today, that we will have uh, a Build Back Better plan. And if, and if they don't do something in the court system, uh, it's, like I said, we're going to put this on the list with the 40 acres in a mule. So I think, I think we need to look at what didn't happen in a time frame where, where history shows us when we wait, as we did with the Pigfoot uh, lawsuit, we waited too long get the debt written off, and by the time we got around to it, someone figured out how not to do it. Uh, where we are now, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I, you know, I, I would hope, uh, Mr. Lucas, we, we, we could get the bill back better, although it's not better for black folk. What was better for black, uh, for black farmers would have been the relief on the Pigfoot, which we didn't get. The second best would have been the American Rescue Plan, and the Build Back Better is a, a distance, a third uh, uh, tier of relief that's not going to do near as much as either of those other two would have. So that's all we have on the board right now, and I guess we'll have to work with that. But uh, it, it's going to be difficult for blacks to stay in unless we can get an administration that will do more than produce reports. And I don't see this administration doing anything except producing, um, you know, for carrying out, you know, processes as it relates to blacks and payments as it relates to whites. And if we can't turn that around, uh, 
blacks are in for a hard time under this administration. And, 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 and that surprises me because I thought it started off well, um, uh, you know, and I thought there was hope that something was going to happen. But I've been there a couple of times before, and it didn't happen. So I think we're going to have to keep an eye on the ball and, and keep people informed and get more people involved and in trying to wake up people uh, so that we can finally address this 150 years of, of, of uh, injustice to, to, to black farmers. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, we are down to about five minutes, uh, and I would like uh, for Attorney McCurdy to um, – Lloyd, if you have a brief summary uh, to go ahead and give it now, but I would like uh, maybe first have um, Attorney McCurdy to kind of give us a summary uh, because I think we're going to have to pick this up in another program uh, early in the year to kind of take a deeper dive into what's going on. Uh, Attorney McCurdy, what would you, in summary, what do you think needs to happen or what is your feeling uh, before we close? I um, I wanted to just briefly revisit the letter that uh, Mr. Wright mentioned that we wrote to Secretary Vilsack back in April where we uh, requested an inclusive implementation process rooted in a community-based participatory framework that values racial equity, respect, humility, shared decision-making, and knowledge democracy. Again, this was modeled by uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator Cory Booker, and uh, Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock. However, that has not been the case with Secretary Vilsack. And clearly, he needs to create an implementation process rooted in a community-based participatory lens because of some of the conversations that we had with him previously when he was advising the Biden-Harris transition team and his limited imagination with respect to restoring the black agricultural land base. He was still regurgitating tired, um, uh, uh, it's not even a remedy, but just tired, you know, the playbook of an equity commission. And so we learned uh, this happened quietly. A press release came out on November 24th, right before uh, uh, the the holiday break, and Secretary Vilsack had awarded a cooperative agreement to avoid public scrutiny, uh, $75 million to 20 uh, nonprofits. Mind you, this is without accountability, transparency, uh, or oversight. Although we have requested the information from uh, the Senate Ag Committee, we have filed a FOIA to obtain the cooperative agreement. Of course, now there is some obstructionism because they're saying that uh, uh, the cooperative agreements have not been signed and thus they can't be shared. Uh, I think that is due to our advocacy and really shining a light on how uh, Bill Sack, his inability to really embrace uh, equitable uh, lens. And so where we are now, I think that we should make a demand for that $75 million that was released to nonprofits and that that money needs to go to provide relief to black farmers. And we, okay. we, have, okay. to, we have to demand that. And I think that's the moment where we are, because otherwise they're telling us to wait. So then we have to wait uh, for the next release of $125 million. And I want to say in the Build Back Better Act, it's really a honeypot of hundreds of millions of dollars that we're going to need to have serious oversight of and to ensure that black farmers get what is owed them. And this is just the beginning. Okay, well, uh, Tracy, uh, uh, Attorney McCurdy, you're going to have the last word. Um, I thank you. Uh, I think we're going to have to revisit this topic 
very early uh, next year. Uh, I want to I I uh, thank you all for coming on the show. But, uh, m- m- like, uh, Marty, if you have any comments uh, before we close, I thank you for, for the time that you've been allowed for us to uh, share this information with your uh, public around no. the world. This was a good show and a good wrap-up, and I think you all explained the situation very well. We'll pick this up in January, Lawrence, and go from there. Okay, well, thank you very much, and I think, uh, are we out of time, uh, Marty? Yes, yes. Okay, thank you very much. I thank uh, you, Marty, uh, Marcel Reed, uh, Mr. Reed, and Attorney McCurdy. Thank you, and good night. Good night. Good night.